Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Hallelujah. Here we are, Wednesday night Bible study. Wednesday night Bible study. Amen. You know, there's... There's a lot of reasons why we have Bible study. Uh, but one reason that it come to my mind, I was getting ready uh, for church this evening, that came to my mind how Paul was about ready to depart from some of the elders at Ephesus and he began to talk to them some of the things they couldn't lay a finger on his life concerning and uh, basically how he had never asked money of them for anything and so on and so forth. He hadn't been a burden to them. But one thing he spoke to them, he says, there's, there's another thing. He says, I've not shunned he said, I've not shunned to declare to you all the counsel of God. All the counsel of God. We got 66 books here. All the counsel of God. And it's very easy uh, being a preacher and minister. Sometimes you, you cater to uh, certain passages or there's certain stories or there's something that might be your candy stick. And if you don't watch yourself, you'll just always, you know, you, you know it's like a car that pulls left. You just always... You know, you'll pull that direction. The awesome thing about Bible study, though, you can pick a topic, you can pick a book of the Bible, you can pick the character, and you can work your way through that. And in doing so, working your way then through the entirety of Scripture, and hopefully someday I'll be able to end my life and say, I've declared to you all, all the counsel of God. Amen. And so that's one of the purposes for Bible study, to not neglect declaring all the counsel of God. 2 Corinthians 3 starting with verse number one the bible says do we begin again almost a tongue twister here at the beginning do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you ye are our epistle written in our hearts known and read of all men for as much as ye are manifest, manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God not in tables of stone but in fleshly tables of the heart and such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Amen. For the next few moments, our... Bible study subject matter will be this entitled Living Epistles Living Epistles let's pray once again we prayed over the offering we prayed for people now let's pray God would touch our hearts and minds through his word Father God we love you Jesus this evening God I count it a great honor Lord to be able to break this bread of life tonight I pray oh Lord today disperse it about God for our hearts and our souls are hungry we're needing, Lord God, needing to be fed, Lord, by your scriptures and, God, by your word. 
I pray, oh Lord, tonight, God, help us, Lord, as we work our way through this, God, that we'll come across some scriptures for doctrine and scriptures for edification and uh, scriptures, oh Lord Jesus, to help direct and guide our lives by. I pray, oh Lord, help us this evening, Mark, all air from my mouth, Lord, and my mind, God, to be able to share this good book, this gospel. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Everyone say amen. Shake a neighbor's hand before you're seated this evening. Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful to see Brother Bob Garrett with us tonight? Amen. So happy to be able to see him in church. Amen. And the effort that's put forth, no doubt, to get here. Amen. Commend him for that. Amen. We're just glad to have he, him and her. We've had her at different times. It's good to have their family here. It's good to be able to see them together. Amen. Tonight. And I know she's glad about that. Amen. Glad about that. Hallelujah. Living, living epistles. The old, the old adage, the old adage that has been said, as far as I can remember, has been this. You may be the only Bible. You've heard it. Can you finish it? You may be the only Bible that some people read. And I think perhaps more today than it was in generations gone by, that is true. Because of the heightened use or a social media-driven society, I think that statement is underscored and emboldened that we may be the only Bible that truly some people <laughs> read. And so, uh, you know, days gone by, if you will, the reading just took place on the surface uh, by individuals' actions, the way in which they lived their life, the way in which they carried themselves and conducted themselves in the community. But now, uh, by means of a social media-driven society, they are not only looking on the surface, but by virtue of your admission, you allow them into your head. And I don't know if that's always a good thing. <laughs> but you allow them into your thoughts. And they can read how you think, how you click. And from that, that area of life of being social-driven uh, media, a person can find out by just if they're friends with you, look or even Twitter or things, anything of that nature, can, can begin to deduce if you're a moody person. They can uh, even see maybe perhaps if you're pretty consistent, you're pretty stable. They might even be able to pull from there if you live your life there, if you're mostly positive or mostly negative. Uh, they can maybe glean a little bit how you react during times of trouble and hardships. Oh, all right there, conveyed by uh, what we have written or what we have put forth so others could, could read. As a matter of fact, is it at all, maybe today it isn't, but is it, is it a frightening thought for you uh, to think that others can literally read you like a book? That used to be an old saying, you know, they can read you like a book. Well, now they almost can. Go back on the timeline when this thing all began. They can literally read you like a book. Now, some of you say, no, that doesn't bother me. Say, don't bother me because I don't have anything to hide. Others say, no, that doesn't bother me because I don't care what other people think. Oh, that's a scary admission. 
And others are saying, yes. Yes, that does bother me that people could read me as a, as a book because I want to portray the best possible example that I can. And I think really, truly, and I'm just painting this for me, well, maybe trying to for us all, but anybody with any scruples, I hope that frightens you to a certain degree that people could perhaps read you as a book because we do want to be putting our best feet forward. And we know sometimes we have two left feet. So there's a tragedy there. So uh, we're leaving some type of example we are to other people by virtue of our lives, whether it's social media or not, our conduct, our disposition of life. The Apostle Paul, New Testament Scripture, in his writings, he spoke of himself as being an ambassador, an ambassador of the gospel. Amen. An ambassador, as the citizens of a foreign country uh, see only an ambassador of the country that person represents. They don't see the country or the high-ranking leader themselves. All they see is an ambassador, which should be the best representation that they can be for their country. Paul said, he said, I'm an ambassador of the gospel. Jesus Christ had his earthly ministry, but he's gone away. Uh, He's already ascended. And so the only idea that people will know about him is through me. Or through us. And times have not changed. Uh, His earthly ministry has ended. And so we are still yet ambassadors for a country. If you will. Ambassadors for a leader. And so we got to represent it well. Especially the people who are totally foreign to this country we're talking about. Totally foreign to this leader Jesus Christ that we're talking about. When we understand the grasp of their knowledge. May be only through the way that we conduct our lives there brings a great level of responsibility upon our shoulders. Amen. And so Paul, he's speaking here as he is an ambassador of the gospel. Uh, They don't necessarily literally see Christ, but they see Christ represented or reflected in our image and in our life. There was a lady by the name of Cassandra Mack. She was the president and CEO of Strategies for Empowered Living Incorporated. She made some very important observations in an article of hers called Be a Positive Role Model. She she says, has it ever occurred to you that you may be the only positive influence on someone's life? Have you ever stopped to think that you may be the only example of excellence and integrity to a classmate, neighbor, or friend? And as strange as it may seem, people are always watching you even if you are not aware of it. That is the statement there. Because we all have people that we know that we better walk our best, put our best forward because we know they're watching our lives. We know people in close proximity, uh, whether it be family or even friends and colleagues, that they're no doubt watching our lives. But where the scare comes in, are the people that's watching your life that you're not aware of. And this came evidently aware to me just this past year around this time frame, around this September of last year. I, I, I received, and here we go, social media, okay? I received a, a friend request uh, on a particular day, and it was from an old classmate of mine. And so I accepted it, 
and uh, was just probably in the very next few moments I received a private message from this classmate of mine and uh, we shared some classes we shared a homeroom together uh, but that was just about the extent of it but in her private message to me, this is what she sent. And I'm just giving you an example of uh, being aware that there's people that are watching you that you're not aware of. And she said, hey, Paul, I just wanted to let you know that way back in school you inspired me. This is high school. This, this is uh, whenever this was written about 15 years ago. So I just wanted to let you know way back in school you inspired me. I don't know if you remember but we used to sit near each other in most classes because of the alphabetical order of our last names. Anyway, you always had your Bible with you in every class, even homeroom. It was always on top of your other books. Thank you for that. It always made me feel guilty about my sin, which was good. But more than that, I always thought if I were ever going to be a Christian, I'd want to be like Paul. I almost forgot to tell you the really good news. I'm saved. The Lord snatched me up out of darkness and showed me the light. I've been forgiven and washed clean by the precious, precious blood of Jesus. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Fifteen years removed, folks. And that little boy had pimples on his face that uh, went to a public school. Can't say I was of the elite of popularity by no means. I was kind of a nerd. I only made friends because I could help them with their homework. As a matter of fact, this particular lady, and I'll keep her name anonymous, I remember her and another friend of hers, they would oftentimes give me a lot of headache and heartache in study hall because I was still a virgin. But 15 years removed, unbeknownst to me, her life has been impacted. You do not know who is watching you. And that's the reason why it's critical as children of God. I know we'll have them, but we need to at best try to safeguard having an off day. Because we are living epistles, known and read, the Bible says, of all Men, you're writing a gospel. Every day you live, you're writing a gospel. Every, every day you're writing a chapter by the deeds you do, by the words that you say, by the 140 characters that you choose to use on a tweet or by the statuses or comments that you leave on Facebook, uh, the games that you play, the pictures and sights that you deem and share as being funny. There, men, women, whoever, they're reading what you're writing. See, we a lot of times get bombarded in today's society, social media, I want to be your friend. How many times has people said, okay, because, you know, there's one or two or a few mutual friends. Oh, they know me. I hate to hurt their feelings. And you don't know. You don't really know, know them, but you know they said they want to be your friend. That could be the very person that's watching your life and investigating if what you say you are, you are. You're writing it every day. You know, we say, what is the gospel according to you? That's what a living epistle is. What is the gospel according to Paul McGee? You're writing a gospel every day. We are living epistles. The apostle Paul, I got to hurry along. The apostle Paul, here, just the background of what's taking place. Uh, Paul is coming to the Corinthian church. This isn't the first time he's come to them, but he's wanting to reestablish uh, his converts' trust in him. 
because there have been some false prophets that moved in since he had been there last and they've been boasting some things and speaking some false doctrines and even trying to undercut the validity of Paul in their eyes although he had a great impact in their life they're trying to undercut that validity that Paul had in their life so these false teachers are entering the supposed church at Corinth and they're coming with different ideas and, and trying to discredit Paul trying to discredit Paul in his message and, and, and although they're false teachers their, their length of time with the Corinthians are very short lived but it doesn't take much time to create a bunch of havoc and damage their time among the Corinthians are short-lived while Paul had been there for a long time. It's spent a lot of time with the Corinthians. And how, you know, it doesn't even seem to reason, does it? How can a man spend all kinds of time with a people, see true blue, all that, and somebody falsely can come in for a short period of time and disrupt all the good? I don't understand that. That's one of the things I don't understand. I'm going to ask whenever I reach heaven someday. But I don't understand how it happens. How there can be a long, constant stream of, uh, of goodness and righteousness and everything's okay. This person's okay. Their message checks out. Their life checks out. Somebody just on a whistle stop can somehow just deteriorate that type of thing but that's what was happening to Paul and these people had had been present even during 1 Corinthians they had been there the only thing is now they're more vocal they're more vocal about it and so whenever we read verse 1 Paul's coming to the Corinthian church and he says do we begin again to commend ourselves in other words he says I know these pseudo false apostles came in and this was a common practice and we still do it today. Anybody ever had to write a letter of recommendation? I have. I recommend people to another church and so on and so forth. But even beyond that, uh, that's beside the point. Anyway, uh, you write letters of recommendation, uh, commending a, a saint or someone to a job or, or to a position, so on and so forth. And that was a common practice in their day. As people would come to church or church, they would come bearing letters of, of recommendation that, that served to introduce them and validate who they were and their business and their potential of, of service to a church or to a place this was common in that day and in that practice as a matter of fact we have several scenarios and I'm just going to hit a couple several scenarios where there were example letters of recommendation remember the story of Nehemiah that Nehemiah sees Jerusalem burned with fire it's dilapidated he's going to go back there that's the place of his father's sepulchers but before he goes he stands in the presence of the king and he basically asks the king king I need some letters Remember the story, Nehemiah 2 and verse number 7, starting. The Bible says, moreover, I said, this is Nehemiah, moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. What are you saying, Nehemiah? He said, I want some letters of recommendation from the king. I'm your cupbearer. I've been in your presence. You know that my life. You know who I am. You, you, can, you can verify who I am. And I need some letters because I'm going somewhere where people don't know me. And so I need these letters. In verse 8, he said, even a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me some timber. He was wanting some, some wood to be able to take Jerusalem to work with, but he couldn't just get them with his good looks. He had to have letters of recommendation. And that's what he was asking for. We even see in New Testament scripture, the apostle Paul is given a commendation to, to Phoebe in, in Romans 16.1. He says, I commend, there's that word right there. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sinchera, that ye receive her in the Lord. She's going somewhere she's never been, as become a saint. 
that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succour or a helper of many and of myself also. So look, he's writing this. Man, she's helped me. She's helped a lot of other people. I believe she'll be a service to you. This is my letter of recommendation. So Paul says, these false teachers came in, no doubt, with some letters of recommendation. Paul's kind of questioning, though, the authenticity of these letters. He's thinking somebody's pulled the wool off. This is fabricated. This is made up. Uh, these letters are not for public review. They've just been for the church. These have been made up. And so there was a bunch of false teachers wandering around, infiltrating the Corinthian church, who were basically placing their value solely upon what somebody else said. Paul says, I'll go further than that. He says, I don't just base my value upon what people say about me. I base my value upon what God says about me. And so whenever he comes to them, he's been there before. He's already spent a lot of time with them before. He's asking, do I got to come to you with letters of recommendation again? I've already been here. You know me. Hey, it's Paul. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that brings up a story. Just real quick, that phrase just happened to bring up a real quick, this is not a part of the lesson. But it brought up a story years ago. Whenever I was a younger man, probably in high school, with Brad Worth, who is not here tonight, and Jeremy Penrod. Michael and Rebecca lived across from South Gibson Church, across the field, and maybe even Brother Mason, I don't know. And we walked across this field to go uh, use some toiletries on their house. And we walked across this field, and there's this big ditch, and there, it, we could make this story real long or real short, and we jumped at Brad Worth fell in the ditch, and... Uh, we get to the house and we do our deed. But at that time, I used to have a dog by the name of Corgi. And they had that dog then. And so it's dark. I mean, it's pitch black. You can't see your hand in front of your face. And there's the pig farm out there. And I remember crawling around. They had a little dog house for Corgi. And see, I was trying to bring some letters of recommendation. Because as I peered over, I didn't want him to make noise. I said, Corgi, it's me, Paul. <laughs> so... <laughs> You got to have some letters of recommendation. Paul says, I was letting Corgi know, hey, do I got to do this really? You know, you know me, it's me, Paul here. <sighs> that phrase just caught me because you say that phrase oft times here and there. <laughs> Amen. So that's what he said. Do I have to bring letters? You all know me. You all know me. He says, I'm not like some of these others. This is the first time you ever met some of them. He says, but you all know me. He said, I, I don't have to bring no letters to you, and nor do I need any letters from you to help commend or recommend me to any other place because there was something that was there for Paul. What he was letting them know in verse number two, he said, ye are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men. In other words, Paul was saying, Corinthian church, Corinthian believers, saying, you are my letters, you are my epistles your lives that have been altered and changed by the power of God that's the recommendation that I have in need it's your lives that have been changed Paul was saying the ministry that has followed me and the lives that have been changed up to this point in time that's enough integrity for who I am and who I stand before God it's left an indelible print upon your lives you are some epistle now what is an epistle we speak of epistle here 
We're just speaking basically a letter. If I could give just a very basic definition, it would be a medium of communication. And he said, ye are epistles. You are mediums, listen to me, of communication. Your lives are mediums of communication. The question is, what are you communicating? You ever looked at something and right away you just start drawing some idea? I mean, just, whether it be a car, whether it be a house, you know, just it being there communicates something, maybe about the home, about the family, about what are you communicating? And why is that so important? Why is it so important the way that we conduct our lives? Why is that critical? I believe verse 2 holds our answer for us. It's critical because we are epistles, we are letters, but more importantly, known and read of, everybody say all. All men. I think it's critical that we're a medium of communication because the readers, <laughs> the readers of the epistles are all men. Let's say a certain group, a certain segment of society, but of all society, all Men. As a matter of fact, something else that I think is very important is this, that the message is so legible, if I could say it like that. The message that your life is portraying should be so legible that it can be read by all men. Have you ever had something, something copied off? I don't know where, this is our bulletin, it looks just fine, I can read everything. But you ever had something that, you know, maybe there was a little smear mark or a little smudge or maybe somebody's handwriting? you had to go to school and somehow decipher that one out and you kind of lean up to somebody else and you kind of look down at them, you're both squinting your eyes and you step on one leg and you lean back and you get closer and you get further away and all the while you're trying to say what does that look like that says right there you ever done that and you say well I think that's a P no is that a B or is that an H you know is that I know we've done it around here with me and sister Penrod and I don't know it was probably nobody's handwriting sitting here right now tonight but um I know we've guessed that a few things before to try to figure out, do you know what that says right there? But what he was saying in the gospel was this, saying these epistles, our lives, should be clear. Legible. They shouldn't be confusing. I can't even talk. They shouldn't be confusing. I want to talk about being clear. They shouldn't be confusing. There shouldn't be any question what it is or what it isn't. They should be legible. It should be able to be read by all men. There shouldn't be no question in what they are relaying or what they're trying to say. Our lives. I know there's been a few times I've sat back and considered people's lives and I scratched my head and huh, felt like I need to lean to my wife and say, what are, exactly are they saying? What is that life? What, what's really being portrayed here? Are they who they are or are they something else? I'm getting mixed signals. This isn't really legible. What, what is this epistle saying to me? Amen. And so they shouldn't be confusing. Uh, our lives are under, I think it's important to understand, our lives are under review by all men. Our lives are under review by all men. So it should cause us to be cautious and wise, choice of words and actions. I'll never forget whenever we traveled, I think everybody should have the opportunity of staying in a motor home. Everybody, Sister Mark, should have the opportunity to stay in a motorhome. And for this reason, the walls are thin. And sound, for the most part, doesn't stay inside the RV. 
and you're parked at churches and you have a Monday night argument before church. I'm here to tell you. <laughs> it's, it's not. Damn it. No, it's, I want you to know. A whole lot more body language and get behind you. It's saying, shh, don't raise your voice. <laughs> you learn how to fight right. When you live in, you're a little bit more cautious about your volume, about what you say. I mean, there are all these church people that are coming into this parking lot where you're parked. Church time. I think everybody should have an opportunity to do that. Or maybe we should just think in our own minds as we live every day, we're living in the RV. Be a little cautious of our actions and our words. He said the epistles were written in the hearts. Look, they are first known and then read. They are first known and then read. In other words, they're known. There's an awareness that's brought to them first. And then they're further analyzed, they're read. What, what would bring an awareness to something? What would make something known? For the Corinthians, it was that they used to sleep around and now they don't. Boom, epistles known. Brought awareness because of the difference and now people begin to read and scrutinize that life because of what they seen, what was known. So firstly, they're known, and then they are read. Verse number three, I like this verse. He goes on and says, for as much as you are manifestly declared, I like that, you're manifestly declared, your life, an epistle for the Lord. You are manifestly declared. It's seen, it's known to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Manifestly declared. The writing was known. The Corinthians, wicked people. Here's, here's, here's a description of the Corinthian church before they knew God, before their lives were changed. First Corinthians 6 and verse number 9. The Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, you don't think that epistle would be known? People who were effeminate, people who were extortioners, people who were covetous and all this, and all of a sudden, they are not that anymore? That is going to be a manifestly declared epistle. That's going to get the attention of society. And notice, all of this happens by how? Verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 6. By the Spirit. By the Spirit, these things have taken place. It harmonizes with what Paul's saying in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 3. He says this stuff's not happening with ink. It's not going on, 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 on tablets of stone. But it's happening by the Spirit of the living God and it's happening to your heart Said before they wrote these things in ink and it was just a human measure but the letters that have been happening in my life your lives said this has happened by the spirit it's been divine amen and no doubt your lives are the work of God 
Amen. But I've, I've had a hand in this. I've shared this gospel with you. And it's very important because there's a contrast going between the, the two tables. He speaks of a table of stone and then he speaks of a table of flesh. And the contrast is this. Stone is not very accepting to the engraving tool. You can take a chisel and a hammer and it's going to take a little effort to engrave something on stone. It's going to take a lot of effort to record something there. But the difference between that and a table of flesh is that it's more easily impressed, if you will, by the writing tool. More easily impressed. Tables of flesh should be more easily impressed, could I say, by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. By the Spirit of God. By, by, by even the working of the Spirit that comes by virtue through your teacher or your youth pastor or your bishop or whoever that may be and it's writing upon the tables of our heart it's not just something external now it's something internal it's something inside of us what will you find when you look at a person's heart the little story goes the surgeon was speaking he said tomorrow morning I'll open up your heart the surgeon said to the eight-year-old boy he said you'll find Jesus there the boy said the surgeon continued I'll open your heart and check the damage you'll find Jesus there the boy said when I see the damage I'll suture you back up and then uh, think about the next step said the surgeon you'll find Jesus in my heart because my Sunday school teacher told me so she said it says so in the Bible besides that our Sunday school songs say he lives there said the boy the surgeon took place the surgery took place the next day after the surgery the surgeon began to make notes of what he found in his mind there was no hope there was no cure the little boy would die within a matter of months the thought began to get the doctor, and all of a sudden, the doctor shouted to God, Why did you do this to this boy? Why can't he live a normal life? God spoke to the surgeon's heart and said, The boy is a part of my flock, will always be a part of my flock. When he's with me, there will be no more suffering, no more pain. He will have comfort and peace. And one day, his parents as well as you will join him. and My flock will continue to grow. The next day, the surgeon went to the boy's room and sat down with the parents beside the bed. In a moment or two, the boy opened his eyes and asked very quietly, what did you find in my heart? With tears flowing down his cheeks, the surgeon said, I found Jesus there. I found Jesus there. And we live a life, we live a life as accepting to the Lord, living epistles before God. Whenever people see our lives, they should be able to say that they found Jesus there. Uh, I don't know if I can... Uh, there is a saying that we need to... Sometimes the only, the only way that people are led, through, led to God is through your life that you live. He wrote it on tables of stone on Mount Sinai. It, the Lord had wrote on the wall of, of a king, many, many, tekel, you farce, and he wrote in the ground with the lady who had caught in the very act of adultery, but none of that compares to what he writes upon our heart. None of that compares to the impact that he has upon our heart. And Paul understood this well. He wanted them to know he wasn't boasting. Paul wasn't a boaster. Amen. He wanted them to know, hey, I want you to understand the changes that happened in your lives, that was not me. That was not my working. I can confidently say that was not me. As a matter of fact, one place in Scripture, Paul just bellows out from his voice. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what I am. It's not something I've done. He speaks in verse 5. He says, our sufficiency is of God or it's from God. 
See, there had been a time early in Paul's life he kind of wanted to, his pedigree to make that path, his background to make that path, his education, his teaching to make that path. But not right now. He tells them that, that not that we, in verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, anything, even the least of things, anything of ourselves. It all came from God. And that's what we want people to see as living epistles. Not see me, but see the God in me. Charles Swindoll perhaps said it best. He said, often our impressive qualifications and accomplishments only obscure the view. Only obscure the view of what really needs to be seen. Paul says, it wasn't me, it was God. He's the one that wrote on your heart. Yeah, I was a messenger and I was a share of the gospel, but he's the one that wrote on your heart. You know, if I were to go to uh, the, the pharmacy tonight and I were to have a, per, a prescription there because I got something going on, probably I'll say it's something for being crazy and, and went there and got a prescription from the pharmacist and I would take that medicine and lo and behold, I would get better. It wasn't the pharmacist that did that. It was the medicine that did that. However, the role of the pharmacist was very important because it dispensed what I needed. It made available the prescription. Paul says, now, I'm, I can't say that I did that, but I can, I can say that I made it available. I brought it down to a level where you could get your hands on it, where you'd have access to it. And he says in verse 6, I'm, running, I'm really running, I tried to make it into the little time frame here. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. The New Testament, the New Testament. The word new in the Greek, there are two different words for the word new in the Greek. One means new as in new in a point of time, like a newborn baby. It's new to a point of time. The second, second Greek word for the word new in the New Testament is new in quality. In other words, it brings something fresh into the situation. The thing itself is not new. It's almost like just a renew, a freshness. And that is the word that is being used here in, in verse number 6. Speaking of a New Testament, we're not talking about something totally new in a period of time. We're talking about a freshness or a renewing of something that already existed. Just follow with me here for a moment. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31, Old Testament scripture that harmonizes with the scriptures that we have spoke of tonight. He says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. Again, the word is there new in quality or a fresh covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, look now, I will put my law. Look at this, folks. And I just kind of really, uh, this kind of jumped out at me today. Because we live in a society, people saying, well, you know, the law served its purpose and it had its time and its way. We just totally obliterate all that and we don't embrace any portion or part of that now. We live in grace, blah, blah, blah. But in my scripture, he took that very same law. He said, I took my law and in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. He didn't obliterate the law. He didn't do away with the law. He didn't cancel the law. But where up to this point, the law had only been an external thing, he took it and brought it to be an internal thing. 
And in the beginning, it was just an external thing. It was rules and regulations, the list, so on and so forth, go on. But that, was on, that wasn't impacting people's lives for permanence. So he said, I got to get my law into their life. And I got to get it into their inward parts. And I got to write it on their heart. And verse 34 says, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, the Lord. Because before when we had the external law, I had all these teachers and different people to say, Here, know the Lord. This is how you know the Lord. This is how to know the Lord. He said, But whenever I take my law and I put it in their heart, he says, For they shall all know me. Why? Because it's changed. The dynamics have changed. This is just not a law that's external now. This is a law that's become internal into their lives. And before people had to show them and point and all this stuff, but if they get it in them, they're going to know me. If they get it in them, they're going to know me from the least of them even to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, and I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So this same law is a new covenant, a fresh renewed covenant because of its application now. It's not just an external law. It's new and fresh in the idea that it's now been placed, rather than on tables of stone, it's been placed on tables of the flesh that are easily impressed by whatever is engraved on. Mm-hmm. It put upon the hearts of the flesh, the letter, amen, as it always been spoken of, been something external, but now it is inside man. It's in man. The only way, and I say this again, the only way that the people knew the Lord was by the teaching of this external law. But now, without one word spoken, it still is spoken, but without a word spoken, people would know the Lord because that law had been internalized in their lives. They would become living epistles as a result of it because it would become a part of them. And that's really what living epistles are all about, taking a living word and allowing it to become a part of your everyday life. That's a living epistle that all will know, all men can and will read. Here's the quote that I think I was trying to get at earlier, early church father by the name of Ignatius. He said, give unbelievers the chance of believing through you. Give unbelievers the chance of believing through you. Consider yourselves employed by God, your lives the language in which he addresses them. The letter killed because it could not affect change where it was written on the stone. It couldn't affect change where it was written. It needed to be written on hearts of flesh. The only way that can happen is by the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit that that happens. If you'll stand with me tonight, I believe we need to accept the challenge together this evening to live in such a way that we are not embarrassed to have someone read the story, the story of our life. As one writer said, and I'll conclude with this, there is not so powerful a sermon as a consistent life. There is not so powerful a sermon as a consistent life. Paul says, I don't need letters of recommendation. My letters are your changed lives. My letters are your changed lives. Don't have to have anybody to validate, he said, the ministry or who I am or God for that matter. He said, your changed lives should do that. If I could say this evening, ask ourselves the question in closing. Brother Mason, you come. Ask yourself the question, is my life 
serving as a letter of recommendation for God? Is my life serving as a letter of recommendation for God? Because here it is, folks, the, the long and the short of it. Whenever you're seeking for a position or you're seeking for promotion or you're seeking for this or that that requires letters of recommendation, what do you do? You're going to find somebody that's not your enemy. Huh? You're going to find somebody that just might like you a little bit. That you know you can trust to say well things about you. If you're seeking to get that promotion or get that position, you want somebody that's going to be able to speak well about you. And so if that's the case in the natural, then how much more in the spiritual is Christ coveting of men and women who can live their life in such a way that they recommend other people who know him not recommend them to him because of how good and how great he is to those people. I want to live my life in such a way that I am a letter of recommendation, a living epistle that serves the Lord well. And folks, I know maybe you've already had those same occurrences, but there could be somebody 15 years removed from your life someday contacts you somehow and says, hey, you don't know this, but I was watching you in such and such. I was watching you during that, that, that horrific circumstance of your life and I seen how you respond. I just want you to know that that was encouraging. You never know. I know that I didn't have time, but I could have got with my wife and had a similar thing from somebody that she had went to college with and high school with, a very similar line like I shared tonight. She gave her a Bible study when they were in college and just so many years removed saying, hey, I was reading your book. I was reading your epistle. Don't even have to underline anything or highlight for anybody to read. They just gravitate towards certain areas. I was reading, I was reading your book, your life. I was reading the gospel according to Michael Jordan. I was reading the gospel according to Mike Trout. I was reading it. This is what I found. This is what I discovered. God, I want to portray you, Lord, appropriately. I want to portray you, Lord, rightly. Pray, oh God, today. I don't want to send a mixed signal, oh God. I want, I want to be legible. I want to be legible, Lord. I want all men to be able to read it. I don't want them to step back and say, what exactly is he? Who is he? What, what does he serve? What, what does he believe? What? I don't want, Lord, to send a, mi a mixed message. I want, Lord, there to be clarity, Lord, in this epistle, my life, Father. I want there to be some clarity. God, for I know there's people that's reading. There's people that's reading. I may never meet them. I may never know them. But there's people, there's people, there's people that's reading. There's people that's reading. Just this week, I was in a, a business here in our community in a place. I was talking to a lady and I was asking some questions. And I made mention of First Apostolic Church. She says, you're First Apostolic Church? I said, yes. She says, you all sing uptown. I said, yeah. She says, I was impressed. That was great. That was wonderful. Given all these accolades. I said, thank you. I appreciate it. She says, I'm a professional pianist. She says, I kind of do that on the side. She says, I play for a Presbyterian church and a Methodist church. She says, I wish I didn't have those obligations. I'd come to your church. People are reading. People are reading your life, the life of this church. I know sometimes we can be so self-absorbed and where we are and here we are right here in our community and this is just a good old boy community 
But let me tell you something. People are watching the members of this assembly. People are watching this church. They're reading the lives. I challenge you to be living epistles. I challenge you to have that law written upon the fleshly portions of your heart. So like that little boy that would constantly say to the surgeon, you'll see Jesus there. I want that to be able to be the statement of this assembly. If you look there, if you read there, you're going to see Jesus there. You're going to see the love and the grace of my master portrayed there. He's written about all over, front and back, covers the spine of the book. You're going to see Jesus there. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's begin to pray in this place. I feel the presence of the Lord just sweep into this place. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, we love you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.